0: Hey, if you're a guest with us, my name's Rob, I'm one of the ministers here at New Hope, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you guys wouldn't mind, everybody here, uh, there's a card in the seat in front of you. If you'd fill that card out sometime during the service, uh, and drop that in the offering tray at the end of the service, that really helps us in our office, Uh, helps us know how to pray for you, how to get you connected, uh, lets us know what you're interested in learning more about as well. Um, Hey, this past week, we call this coming week a week of rest, um, because this past week was a week of chaos that we call VBS around here. Uh, And it was beautiful chaos. It was incredible. We had over 400 kids register for our VBS this year. I had over 100 volunteers that gave so much of their time and effort and planning and and, and just taking vacation weeks to make sure they were here to serve. It was an incredible testimony uh, to the dedication of this church to be disciples who are making disciples. Here's why I say that. The potential of what VBS can do in the life of a child is pretty incredible. A splash was created uh, this past week in the lives of so many young people that will direct them and guide them into their future. We've got some people on our staff who formulated their relationship with Jesus at a VBS here at this church. We've got missionaries serving all around the world who came to VBS at New Hope. We've got Bible college students training to be in ministry, and we've got Christians living intentionally in the marketplace who were influenced by VBS at this church. And so we don't pause to say thank you. Thank you for each and every one of you who gave of your time uh, to make this last week happen. You gave of your talent to teach and invest in young people. And as a church, you gave of your treasure. You gave financially through our REACH initiative to expand our facilities. And I can't tell you how much of a blessing these facilities were this past week. So thank you very much. On behalf of our leadership as a church, we come to you as a church and we say thank you for being so generous and so giving because the impact we will be able to see for years to come. Hey, today we're going to start a new sermon series that we're going to study through the the entire summer uh, called Blind Spots. And this is going to, we're going to walk through the book of Proverbs and we're going to look at uh, different areas of our life that can oftentimes be overlooked or missed and what God has to say about them. But before we get started this morning, let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thanks for the opportunity we've had this past week to invest in the lives of young people, future leaders, future ministers, future influencers. God, we're so grateful that we had the opportunity to pour into their lives, and we look forward to seeing what you will do as you take that effort and you multiply it exponentially. God, I thank you for being a part of a church that takes seriously the investment we make in young people. Father, I am grateful this morning as we open your word, the Bible, and we prepare our hearts to hear from you. Father, we want to hear from you. We want you to speak clearly to our hearts and our lives this morning. We offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you knew this, but you've got a blind spot in each one of your eyes. A blind spot is where the optic nerve enters your eye through a hole in the retina, and your brain then fills that spot with familiarity, what it sees, and so it creates a blind spot. You've seen this when you're driving. You can rearrange your mirrors all you want, but there is still a blind spot, a spot in your vehicle that you can't quite see in your view, and you have to watch. Some of you parents are like, listen to him, right? (laughs) So... You have to be careful. you got to look over your shoulder. you got to pay attention. I learned this the hard way. I went to college in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was driving home to South Florida, and this was going to be the first time I took that trip by myself. Now, I'd made the drive a couple times with some friends, but this time, for whatever reason, I had to make the journey all alone, and so I get into my Jeep, and I leave uh, Tennessee, and I'm driving south, and I cross. uh, I'm near the border of Tennessee and Georgia, and I'm driving, and I'm on the interstate and I go to change lanes and I just looked in the mirror I thought I'm good to go I've been on the road for a couple hours everything's good and I go to coast over to my right only to hear streaking brakes behind me slamming on the brakes and I see them swerve off the road a little bit and come back onto the road and I look behind me and I'm like totally embarrassed right because when a blind spot's revealed it's it can be pretty embarrassing and I'm driving and I'm terrified and they kind of pull up behind me and they speed up and they very affectionately told me I was the number one person in their life and I continued to drive, and I realized this car was full of four college-age guys. And so I'm driving, and I'm like, "All right, uh, this isn't good. I'm by myself. I've got no friends. I don't even know where I am." I'm driving. They scoot in behind me, and we just kind of keep driving. Here's what was difficult: I had to go to the bathroom so bad, but there was no way I was pulling off that interstate with these guys <laughs> behind me. Not a chance. So I just kept driving. And driving for about two hours, they stayed behind me, and finally they pulled off. And I thought, I can go to the bathroom, very next exit. <laughs> see, look, blind spots can have that effect on you. And you've experienced that, I'm sure, and what's true physically is true spiritually. Now, what happens is there are things we think we see, there's things that we assume that we already know, and before we know it, we realize, I didn't see that, and I didn't know that, and these spiritual blind spots can creep up on us. We assume we see something and maybe we even fill in the blank ourselves based on past experience or knowledge only to find out we've been missing the point the entire time. We've been missing it the whole time. And now, if we're not careful, these spiritual blind spots can have a very negative effect on our life. I'd say a spiritual blind spot is our inability or our failure to identify weak or missing parts of our relationship with God that can have a negative and even deadly impact on our relationship with Him and the people that are around us. If we're not careful blind spots can have a very profoundly negative impact on our lives. This is what the book of Proverbs is all about. You see, Proverbs, as we study through this book, it's about preventing, identifying, and working with blind spots. See, the wisdom offered in this book reveals things to us that maybe we thought we were seeing or we thought that we knew that only to come to find out, man, I was missing that the entire time. I need uh, this wisdom. I love the way Derek Kidner says it in his commentary on Proverbs. He says, the book of Proverbs performs the function of putting godliness into working clothes what he means is proverbs isn't a very churchy book it it's a book of uh, practical wisdom it's not it's not very difficult to understand what the book is trying to communicate to us now a proverb in english is a saying that's practical and easy to remember you've heard them look before you leap or a stitch in time saves nine only three of you knew that one so (laughs) that's good maybe i need to plug in a better more well-known proverb uh Biblical proverbs, though, they're sound ish too. They're very tweetable little sayings that you can come to understand, but they're far more than common sense, right? A biblical proverb points you to a much deeper truth a much bigger truth. It points you to a wisdom and ultimately to the gospel of Jesus. It highlights the importance of what Jesus has done for us because that is the ultimate source of wisdom. So a proverb, it's like a little model of reality. It's a little, model of real- a little verbal representation of some aspect of your daily life. So you read through the book of Proverbs and it's like you can pick up a proverb and you can kind of look at it from multiple angles and you can see what's going to happen in life. You can see if if you follow this path, here's what it leads to if you follow this path. And even before you step into certain situations, before the blind spots even formed, if studying the book of Proverbs, you can see ahead of time what the wise or foolish choice would be in your life. Think of it this way. The Wright brothers, when they flew the airplane for the first time in 1903, I don't know if you realize this, they knew full well, that it would take off. But how did they know that? Because they'd created a wind tunnel. They'd created a wind tunnel where they tested all kinds of wing variations. And they knew with certainty this will take off. That's the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is like that wind tunnel. It says, hey, if I go this direction, if I do this, I can pretty much expect these type of results. It's not a fortune telling. It's not going to tell your future, but it is going to give you guidance and wisdom and thought into which direction you should be leading your life. Most of the book it was written by King Solomon. And what stood apart in Solomon's life? You begin to ask that question, he wasn't perfect. And neither will you be if you even learn to master this book of Proverbs. But something stood out about Solomon. A couple things. One, Solomon was a guy who wanted to include God in every part of his life. He didn't compartmentalize him. And so the everyday stuff of life, he interacted with his creator. And in that interaction, he began to find everything that the creator had created fascinating. There was not any part of life he didn't find fascinating. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4, it tells us that he was like a Renaissance man. Solomon, because of this experience with God and God showing him all of these incredible things, he developed an appetite for learning. And he continued to study. Now, he studied plants. He studied animals. He composed music. He wrote all of these different proverbs. He was wise beyond his years. In fact, they say that people from all over the world came just to sit in the, under the counsel of King Solomon because he was such a wise person. But it started with an interest in his Creator. The one who created him made everything fascinating to him. And so he just constantly wanted to learn more and more. So the first nine chapters of this book, it's like a, a series of speeches he's given to his son. Here's the wisdom I want you to have. And he's like pouring into his son. And then the rest of the book is the practical nuggets of that wisdom. They're little bite-sized pieces of, of wisdom that apply to different areas of your life. So as you begin to read through it and you study it, you come to understand this is what God's calling us to. He wants us. It's an invitation journey with God in life and learn more about him and what he's created it's this fascinating invitation of discovery if you will has anybody here ever hid something from your kids in hopes that they would find it ever done that we do that all the time maybe too much we hide things and we're like because I love watching my kids experience the joy of discover discovery like, finding new things and searching out new things. In fact, when I'm married into uh, my wife's family, they have this tradition at Christmas that I find fascinating. They take this green pickle, and they hide it in the Christmas tree somewhere. Not an actual pickle, it's an ornament. That would be, I'd be like, what did I get into? But it's, a, it's an ornament. And it hangs in the tree, and they, they, after all the presents are opened, the kids are then like, okay... You've got to find the pickle among all the other ornaments, and it's disguised by the color of the tree, and you've got to find it. and Whoever finds it, whoever discovers it, there's a prize waiting for you. And so, by kids, I mean all of us. And so, yes, we throw the little ones out of the way, and we're going to get that prize. <laughs> but the joy of watching them try to discover and find and search. you See, this is like what God does with us and wisdom. You see, wisdom for us, it kind of seems unattainable at times like this thing I can't quite grab onto, I know it's there in the future, and it, all of a sudden maybe it kind of happens to you and you're not sure, but for God, wisdom, as it relates to us, is like a divine game of hide and seek. He wants us to continue exploring and learning and figuring out new things as he continues to open the door to wonder and joy and he begins to reveal more of himself and what he's created, and we gain more and more wisdom as we participate in this journey with him. This is the invitation you have in the book of Proverbs. God is saying, come with me. I want to reveal more of life to you. I want to tell you what wisdom looks like. And so as Solomon pens these words, it really comes down to two things, the book of Proverbs. Our whole summer study is going to be about two things, wisdom or foolishness. He says it really comes down to a choice. Do you choose the wise life, the life of wisdom, or do you choose a life of foolishness? Will I go my way and do things the way I want to, or will I submit to God's way, knowing that as I journey with him, he'll reveal more of himself to me? It lines up so well with what Jesus taught. Matt read from the Sermon on the Mount earlier in our service, and at the end of that sermon, Jesus says these famous words. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the... Again, three of you, all right? Uh, Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice will be like a foolish man who built his house on the... All right, just making sure you're with me. There we go. And so he says it's about foolishness, and it's about wisdom, and it's about making this decision, seeking these things. And so as we start our study, there's a few reasons. You're going to have to track with me this morning. I want us to start with this concept of making sure that we've put the right things in our life to prevent us from developing a blind spot from God's presence how he's already moving and working in your life, to be able to see that he is here and he is moving, he is active. If we're not careful, we begin to assume it. We begin to uh, take it for granted. And before we know it, we've developed a blind spot to his very presence in our life. And so this morning, the best starting point is with God. And as we journey this summer, we're going to see how that is the beginning point and feeds into all the other things that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to put on the screen for you here in a moment three different uh, passages, verses from the book of Proverbs. And in these three verses, we're going to see some common themes between these three verses, and then we're going to explore what they have in common and what it means for us in our lives. But I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible or an app, highlight these verses. And this week, commit to memorizing one of them. Hide God's word in your heart. Just take one of these verses and write it on an index card this week and commit it to memory. Allow it to sink in deep into your heart and into your mind. So when certain situations arise, you find yourself relying on this passage of scripture and realizing how God is moving and how he's present in your life. Let's come to understand what these passages mean. The first one is Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Our second passage comes from Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And third, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, there's a few different things these three verses, and many more in Proverbs and in your Bible, have in common. One of the things is they identify the beginning point of everything that you know and understand as being your faith system. It says that your understanding of God is the beginning point of everything else that you can learn and understand and know. Here's what it means by that. There's many people in our culture today who might say, no, that's not true, Rob, because you can have a public life and a private faith. You can have your faith and keep it to yourself, and it should just be yours, and you don't have to broadcast it everywhere, and you can have a public life where you keep that private, and you can compartmentalize. But what Proverbs is telling us, what the Bible would teach us, is that's not actually possible. Because everything you do is a representation of what you believe. Everything. Everything you come to learn, everything you're willing to learn and receive into your mind and heart is a representation of what we would call your worldview or your faith and belief system. Some would say that the only things that we really can be sure of are the things that are scientifically proven. You may have your belief or morality about God, Rob, and that's fine, but keep it private the only things that we can be sure of are things that are scientifically proven. Here's the problem, though. That statement, the only thing that we can be sure of are things that are scientifically proven, cannot be scientifically proven. So you might say, you might say to yourself that the only thing that I really need is to believe in things that I can absolutely see, that there's no supernatural evidence of anything taking place in the world. That's fine if you believe that, but you're taking that on faith because you can't prove it. And so you might have your faith in there being no God and nothing supernatural and others may have their faith in there being a God and choosing God's way of doing things. Either way, you have a faith to begin with. You're taking it. You're taking that information on the faith. And here's what Proverbs, here's the point of that. Proverbs is saying that's the beginning point from where you form all of your knowledge, experience, and understanding. Let me give you an example. I teach a class on Christian worldview. I teach it uh, a couple days a week. And in that class, one of my favorite things to do as we sit with the class and we explore this concept, the beginning point, your worldview, your faith system, is what catapults you into the world of knowledge and understanding. And you filter everything through it and come to understand everything through it. I love, in that class, uh, doing movie and music studies. And so they'll listen to certain music, and they're not, it's a blind spot. They're not thinking anything of it, and they're watching certain movies, no big deal. And they'll say, hey, let's do this. Um, eventually, I just get frustrated, to be really transparent with you, with some of the music, and so I'll just say, all right, I'm, that's it. And I grab a whiteboard and I write the lyrics to the song. On the whiteboard and I say, guess what you're never gonna want to listen to this song again because here's the nine different worldviews that this song is a proponent of and the one that's missing is the one that you claim to want as a part of your life and at the end of the year they always come back to me say I can't watch movies anymore you ruined it you ruined music and movies and you ruined my life and I'm like (laughs) here's the deal here's the deal you need to think more critically about what you're exposing yourself to first of all second of all have a good summer I'm going home all right (laughs) here's the point here's what we come to learn Your belief in God is the beginning point of everything that you know, and therefore it affects everything that you do. Everything. What you believe about God is the beginning point of everything that you know because you filter every bit of knowledge through that lens, and therefore it has a profound effect on everything that you do. And so Proverbs is telling us that. What it's saying is that everybody has a belief. Everybody has a faith system, and from that, you form everything that you know and do, and it is the catapult from which you experience knowledge and understanding. It's the beginning point. So now, the second thing that these verses have in common with one another is they, they say, yes, that is the beginning point of knowledge, understanding, experience. But the second thing that's really important for you to understand is this thing that is repeated in these three verses and all throughout your Bible, and it's called the fear of the Lord. So that's your beginning point. That's, but, but understand that for the Christian, the, the follower of God, it is the fear of the Lord that comes in next. Now, fear can be a, something really difficult to talk about right? Fear, uh, we might think fear in terms of just being scared. When I think about the fear of the Lord, am I just supposed to be scared of God and his wrath pouring down on me and I'm terrified of him and I should just tremble in his presence? That's not what Solomon's getting at. That's not what Proverbs is getting at. That's not what he means when he says fear. We know that because you look at all the other passages in in your Bible. Take, for instance, this one found in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12. It says this, what has the Lord your God, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. See, this is telling us something different. Now, side note, I've got a close friend who's in ministry, and he was, him and his wife, they have got a three and a half year old son, and they were teaching him to memorize scripture, and they picked this scripture for him to memorize. Perfect timing. So he gets this down, What has what the Lord your God required of you to love God, and, to, and so he memorizes the verse, right? And then they go to this Christmas party, and they're sitting in this uh, larger house, this big living room with about 25 other little three- to five-year-old kids, and they bring in a guy dressed like Santa Claus. And he goes through the whole thing, and at the end of it, he says, do any kids have any questions? And Brant's hand flies up. And he says, yes, and Brant stands up in front of everybody and goes, what is the Lord your God required of you, Santa? <laughs> and like, everybody in the room was like, What? Where was that coming from? And Santa's looking over at his dad like, get your kid out. I don't know how to respond to that. It's like, I was just, they told me to memorize it. And so here's what the verse is getting at. The verse doesn't say, it does not say that you can love God or you can fear him. What the verse and what this concept in scripture is communicating to us is the more that we love him because of how great he is, the more we develop a love for him, the greater our capacity for fearing him is in a very healthy healthy manner because he reveals this awe-inspiring life-changing joyful wonder about his greatness based on who he is and what he's done and we love him more we come to understand the greatness of who he is and what he's done and it creates this awe-inspiring life-changing joy in our hearts and it's this trembling before him you are so good and it manifests itself in a few ways and i'm going to give you two of them this morning the first way that the fear of the lord manifests itself in your life is humility humility See, the first thing we have to understand if we want to experience the fear of the Lord is we humble ourselves before the Lord because we see how great He is based on who He is and what He's done. And so I come before Him and I'm humbled because He's incredible and He's powerful and He's good, but we have to work on humiliation. I think Sherlock Holmes said it best. He said, The chief proof of a man's real greatness it lies in the perception of his smallness. You see, the way to understand the greatness and the bigness of God is to understand your own smallness, not to think too much of yourself. I read this week about Teddy Roosevelt and yet his naturalist friend, William Beebe, and he said they went out on the White House lawn and they're standing out there as night fell. And he looks up to the lower left-hand corner of the Pegasus constellation and Roosevelt said these words to him. He said, that's the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. And that large it's as large as our Milky Way galaxy. It's one of 100 million galaxies. It's 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each of them larger than our own sun. He looked at his friend who was marveling at this information and just feeling overwhelmed by all of that information. And then almost like a child, the president looked at him and said, now I think we feel small enough, let's go to bed. (laughs) It's about feeling small, understanding your smallness in the presence of a great, big, awesome God. It's humbling, but that's not the only way it humbles you. Here's where true humility comes from. When you stand before a great God who's incredible and he's big and he's powerful and he's done incredible things in your life and you've watched him do incredible things in the lives of other people and you come to this understanding you don't deserve any of it that it's unmerited undeserved display of grace in your life and you recognize that truth and you realize I don't deserve this and it's a gift And it creates a joy in your heart because you know you don't deserve something that you're receiving in abundance from the Creator God. And you walk in that humility and you come to understand that humility and you marvel in that humility that was created not because you did something but because He did it for you. And you stand there humbled and now your heart is prepared to experience what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. The second thing I want you to know about the fear of the Lord is this. It's what psychologists have been telling us for years. I read this in psychology books in college and grad school. Over and over again, it's this idea of facing your fears. It's this concept that if you come to really understand what it is that you're truly scared of, you'll kind of understand where your heart is really leaning heavily. What it is you value the most because your fears, a lot of times what you fear losing the most, and therefore uh, it's where your heart is pointed most directly. Uh, let, Let me illustrate it this way. For example, if you mainly look for people's approval, you're a people pleaser. Right? And if I had to ask you if you're a people pleaser, you might raise your hand right now because I was asking you to, and it would please me. And so you're a people pleaser, right? You want to keep people happy. So your number one fear in life, if you're a people pleaser, is rejection. You don't ever want to feel rejected. And so you'll do anything to prevent rejection, and you'll just continue to please people at any cost. But let's say your number one fear in life is, or your number one love and goal in life is power, and you want to pursue power, then that means your number one fear in life is humiliation, Because if you're seeking power, the last thing you want to do is be humiliated. Here's how that works. If I'm a people pleaser, I don't mind being humiliated. I don't mind it. Because if it will make people love me more, I'll go through it. But if I'm power hungry, I don't care if I'm rejected because I'm getting the power that I want. And my number one fear is losing that power and feeling. And so where your fear is directed reveals where your heart is directed. Right? Maybe if you're living for money, if you're living for your children, if you're living for your career, if you're living for your reputation, whatever it is, you have a mortal fear of something mixed into that, the loss of which would render your life meaningless. So here's the truth I want you to know. By understanding what your greatest fear is, you'll see your greatest love with greater clarity, the thing that you most fear losing. By understanding what your greatest fear is, you will reveal in yourself what your greatest love is. The thing that you fear losing the most. Now, this is a lot easier said than done. For me, one of the things that I struggle with the most is I love being a dad. I love it. I, I love it maybe more sometimes than I should. You're like, you can't say it. I said it. I love it. I love wrestling with them, playing with them, watching them grow, watching them learn things. I love my son Noah, and that he loves sleeping on my chest right now. He's three and a half months old, and he'll sleep on my chest, and I can calm him down. and Then there are times where I love that, and there are times where I'm like, why is this the only place you want to sleep? I want to sleep too. And we put him down, and I love, I love, love, love watching him sleep, watching him grow, watching him learn new things. And that love, friends, I'll be really honest, I'm treading lightly here, can create a fear in me of losing them that reveals how much I love them. I love them so much, and so I have this fear of losing them and what it would do to me, and I love them so deeply, and that's okay. It's okay to have that. It reveals your love. It's not okay to have that over and above the fear you have of losing God. And so when you fear, the thing you fear the most is that I might not have God and his greatness. I love you so much. The fear reveals where the heart is. And so your fear of God reveals how much you love and care for him. And you stand before him thinking, "I just if I lost everything else in life, I never want to lose you. Everything else in life can come and go, but I never want to lose you, God. You're the most precious thing to me. And it reveals where your heart is. See, you can know a lot about God. And you can know a lot about scripture and you can understand different things. You can come to all kinds of a knowledge of everything that you need to know. You can be the biggest, smartest person on theology ever and not fear him. You lose everything. Jesus said it best on the last night of his life. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. Know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. This deep, joy-filled life-changing, marveling awe that God puts in our heart when we stand before him and we're fearful because we love him more than anything else in the world. Look, you can't allow God to simply be an item on your list of priorities. You just can't. Now, we have our own proverbs or mottos around here in our country where we'll say, God first, then family, then country, or God, family, country, or God, country, family, however you want to say it. We, We do all these things. And what Proverbs is teaching us here is the fear of the Lord means God can't be on that list. He's the ink that created the list. He's where the list was formulated. So you can't say, I I love God the most, and then I love this thing. No, it's like, I love God, and as a result, I also love all of these other things. He can't be an item on the list. He is the center point from where the list was formed. He's got to be the most important thing. Now, when you go from God being simply a concept, an idea or a ritual, or or a religious activity that you participate in, or a hobby that you give minimal dedication to. When you go from there to the fear of the Lord, it changes everything for you. And Proverbs says that the blind spots begin to fall away. The blind spots begin to fall away, and you begin to see things with greater clarity. You don't quite see, you're not missing him anymore. Why? Because he's the most important thing. He's on your heart and on your mind all the time. So friends, here's the question. How do I do that? How do I put things in my life to ensure that that blind spot doesn't begin to formulate and before I know it, I'm swerving into the wrong lane with my life? I'm going to give you two things. And here, there's a Czech Republic proverb, very appropriate for this series, that says this, repetition is the mother of wisdom. Repetition is the mother of wisdom. There are times in your life, maybe more often than not, where you don't need to learn something new. You simply need to put into practice what you already know to be true. So these two things you've heard before. The first thing I would tell you is this. Download, participate in the Read Scripture app. This year as a church, we're reading through the entire Bible together, and we're using an app called the Read Scripture app. Or don't use the app. I don't care. All I care about is that you're in God's Word, that you're spending time laboring over His Word, and you're reading His Word. And when you feel like you're in a dry season in your spiritual life, you discipline yourself through it and allow the joy of the Lord to take over your heart as you continue to read His Word Read the Bible, soak up the Bible, meditate on the Bible, memorize the Bible, allow God's word to be hidden in your heart so that when you come up against these moments where blind spots are formed, you might not sin against him. Because it's what's in there and it's what's pouring out of your mind and your heart because he is not just an item on a list, he is the list. Number two, get in a group. We plug this all the time around here, discipleship groups. Let us help you get plugged into a group of people who will walk with you through this. And as they begin to see the blind spots that are formulating in your life, they'll say, hey, you're not seeing this, but here's what's going on. And you'll be accountable to them and they will pray with you and they will walk through life with you. They'll be there on your greatest days and on your lowest days. And they will help you understand that the fear of the Lord is a way that you live your life, not a concept that you just come to understand. Let me illustrate for you this way in closing. My my fear is that we would hear all of this, it would kind of hit us and we would process it and it would become like this legalistic thing we have to go and do. And I don't want that. I want you to understand that God's invited you onto a journey. And he can't wait to reveal things to you as you walk through this life, as you gain wisdom and understanding. Let me illustrate it for you in closing this way. Arthur Gordon is a well-known author. And as a small boy, years and years ago, his family spent summers at a seaside uh, cottage. Late one night, while he's already been completely asleep, his dad comes and he wakes him up. And I don't know if you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night, but his dad wakes him up and he brings him out to the, the shore and he says, I want you to look up at the sky. And just as his dad had said, look up at the sky, a shooting star streaked across the sky, then another and another and another. And his dad explained to him, he said, on certain nights in August, the sky would put on a far greater firework show than any 4th of July celebration. Six decades later in his life, he would write that that was most, one of the most important nights of his life. And he would say this about the experience he had with his dad, reflecting on his father's influence. He said that his dad believed that a new experience was more important for a small boy than any unbroken night of sleep. He said, I had all the usual quota of playthings and toys, but these are long gone and forgotten now. What I remember, the night the stars fell, the day that we rode on a caboose, the time when we tried to skin the alligator, which I really wish he would have wrote more about, the telegraph that we had made that actually really worked years and years ago. Then he captured his father's essence and friends. In a way, he captures our heavenly father's essence and what he's invited us into in the book of Proverbs when he says this. My father had, to a marvelous degree, the gift of opening doors for his children, of leading them into areas of splendid newness. This, surely, is the most valuable legacy that we can pass on to the next generation. Not money, not houses or heirlooms, but a capacity for wonder and gratitude, a sense of aliveness and joy. See, God's not here pushing down on your life. He's opening doors, inviting you to come with him, saying, I have a better way for you. I want you to experience through your understanding. I want you to experience through humbling yourself. I want you to experience through experience and understanding the fear of the Lord, what joy and wonder can fill your heart and your life. So my question for you today is this. Will you put in your life the things that you need to prepare you to prevent blind spots from developing